This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello, it's Paul Wheelock and welcome to the Morning Bulletin podcast where we round up all the big headlines from overnight concerning Liverpool FC. And I'm delighted to say I'm joined on the line by Dan Kay. Good morning, Dan. Morning, Paul. How are we? Not bad, mate. Not bad. First time on this podcast with me. Yeah, a bit, of a bit of an early one. Probably the earliest podcast you've ever done, I imagine. <laughs> it probably is. Not even eight o'clock. Yeah, it's a good job. I've managed to get plenty of coffee down me and a few matchsticks to get the old eyelids. Uh, no, exactly how you feel, mate. It's the same every day, every day. Uh, but before we get stuck into those stories, I'd just like to pay our respects to the former Liverpool striker, Michael Robinson, who has died at the age of 61. Uh, his passing emerged when we were recording yesterday's edition of this podcast. Uh, and for people who may not have known him, he was part of the 83-84 Liverpool side that won a league, League Cup and European Cup treble. And he went on to forge a really, ha- really successful career in the media in Spain. And I think you can see how respected he was by the wide and emotional tributes that have been been paid to him over the last 24 hours and Dan like the, the tributes particularly from people like Graeme Soonis were so well read on, on the site yesterday weren't they and today still well yeah absolutely it's clear that um, he really was a very uh, very influential character particularly in, particularly in football media um, I am of an age when I just about remember and in fact I actually look back through some of the stats yesterday he was actually on the bench for the first two Liverpool matches I ever went to in wow. August and September 1984. I'm not sure I've actually seen Peter off the bench in one of them. And he was the first to admit that he did, that um, it's well documented. He, he didn't really feel he was almost good enough to play for Liverpool at times, but everybody who played with him certainly said he did. And he contributed, you know, he was a, a valuable squad member in that 83-84 treble team. Um, and had, you know, had, had a good career in England, uh, but it was really in Spain that he um, his, his career, his post football career took off, and he, and he essentially became Spain's version to Gary Lineker. He, did, yeah. uh, he kind of like re uh, revolutionised football coverage over there, and reading some of the um, there's some been some fantastic articles, uh, you know, since his, his sad passing yesterday morning that really shone light on not just what a um, what a, a lover of the game he was, but how what, what a great thinker about the game he was, and how he loved the human side, the social aspect of football, how it brings people together rather than just putting the, the round thing in, 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 you know, in the rectangular thing. So he's, he's a 61 is no age at all. He's, he's, he's a very, very sad loss. And um, you know, our, our thoughts all go out to his family and friends and everybody in Europe. Well said. We'll start with uh, one of the big, another big story on the, the website last night uh, regarding proposed changes by UEFA to the way clubs qualify for the Champions League. I know Liverpool supporters and Everton supporters clubs we both cover for the Echo have been having their say on this and it's I don't think it's going to be one that particularly goes down well, is it? No, um, I have to say to me this is something that I find abhorrent, appalling. It's, it's From what I can see, it, it's, it's a step towards a Super League which has been talked of for years and years and years. You know, it, 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 essentially what the proposal is, rather than, as we've had for the last, you know, the last 15, 20 years now, the top three or top four in each league qualifying by right um, for the Champions League, what they're talking of doing is basically um, qualification would be based on a team's league position over the last four seasons. And you know, the, the, one of the lines that's actually used in the piece is that the changes are, quote, to protect elite European club revenue streams. So it's, you know, I've, I've always felt for many years, one, once you take that kind of the meritocracy out of football, 
uh, you know, then then you're on your way to WWE or you know stage sport, which is not something personally that I have any interest in. I always use the example of Wimbledon in the in the nineteen eighties. I didn't particularly like the way they did it with their long ball football and at times out and out thuggery. But the fact that they were able to go from non-league to the top division and win the FA Cup in about 10, 11 years is the essence of sport. That if you've got a good team, a good manager and a fair win, you can do anything. And once you shut the door to that, once you start pulling up the drawbridge behind you, that to me is is the beginning of the end. So I would hope that, you know, there's no doubt, no doubt about it. There will be powerful forces within the game, within the business of football that will be actively, well, that, that are and, and will be pushing very strongly for this because the, the owners of big clubs have said for years and years they don't like the idea how um, you know smaller clubs can have one good season and can get in. I think Real, was it, one of the Real Madrid directors made a uh, similar comment about Ajax last yes. year who obviously yeah. got to the Champions League semi-finals and you know, could have gone even further. Um, they're, they're, looking to, they're looking to protect themselves because you know from their point of view, if they have a bad season, they fall out of the Champions League and struggle to get back in. Obviously, they have they have difficulties with their finances, but I would imagine that most traditional football supporters, of which I certainly count myself as one, uh, would not like the sound of these ideas one little bit. No, and if you want to read more about it, it is on the Echoes website and it does come from a report by the FA. Uh, basically, and it gives you a few more details and fleshes out what Dan's been saying there. It really is an interesting read. Another interesting read to our second story of the day comes from uh, the Times newspaper. Obviously, the pressing priority for football authorities in this country is the well-being of its players and its supporters. But as the days and weeks go by, it's clear that they do want to get the Premier League particularly back up and running. But doubts do remain. And and that's made clear, isn't it, by a report in the Times that I mentioned a second ago this morning. Well, yeah, um, it's um, and it, it, it's something that we're looking to have a story. We're looking to do a version of it to the Echo website very shortly as well. The, the story basically that the Premier League is facing a rebellion from clubs over this plan to restart the season quite soon. Um, the argument is that some clubs, and obviously we know that some clubs have an agenda that they don't want the season restarted. They want it wiped and scrubbed because it can always get themselves off the hook for you know for their own deficiencies this season. We don't, yeah, we don't know categorically who those clubs are. We don't know if categorically if even the clubs mentioned here. But but the Times report basically says that some top flight clubs will argue that it's wrong to play at all, while the country is in the grip of the coronavirus. Um, also, that the sporting integrity of the competition could be undermined by teams losing home advantage because obviously there is a suggestion that uh, some of these clubs could be played on neutral grounds, whether it's in. Wembley or St George's Park or training grounds or whatever. I think the most important aspect is the first part of it, that it's wrong to play at all while the country's in the grip of, of, of the health crisis that it is. It does seem like the the, the main, the only way that football could get back started is, 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 is if they have some kind of very thorough system of testing players and everybody involved in it. Uh, and I think the argument behind it seems to be that what, how can you justify giving tests to football players when there are health workers and key workers who are who who, who aren't getting them yet. And and I think, you know, it's very hard to argue that footballers should get them before that. We all want to see football back, of course we do. But there has to be a priority here. And the priority is obviously getting a grip on this health crisis that is sadly already cost thousands and thousands of innocent lives. Um I mean, I, I got a message last night from a friend. I think I think probably most of us 
boards and occasionally get the odd message going go on watch the watch the story yeah. you know you've got contacts <laughs> and all the rest of it i mean it's, i don't think any of us have got contact no. with, you know to, to any degree in relation to this because as, as i said to me to my mate last night nobody knows because there is still so much uncertainty and more than that disagreement some clubs do want to get started as soon as possible and and you know, whenever possible and other clubs don't want to get started at all now, with, with France yesterday joining Belgium and Spain and cancelling their leagues, obviously the, the, the voider brigades have more wind in their sails. But it's not necessarily... It, 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 you know, obviously, their argument is, well, look, it's happening all over Europe now. We've got to fall in line with it. But it's, I don't think it's as simple as that because the level of the money in the big leagues means that just spewing it is far more complicated. Um, the German league seems to be um, ahead of everybody else. And you know, in, in terms of its timeline, and they look to be still committed to starting again in in mid May. So that that seems to be like the test case really. And I think everybody will be watching very closely what happens there and seeing, um, you know, and, and taking their lead from that really. But I think this is a situation, a story, and a story that's gonna it's gonna be ongoing and run for some time yet because, as I say, there's so many conflicting interests. And reaching so any kind of consensus, I think, is going to be very, very difficult. Agreed. As you say, keep your eyes on the Echo website for our version of that story. No, by, no doubt by the time this podcast podcast online and you listen today, it will be there. Another story... That's on our website, actually on our blog, uh, if you read of our blog, and it was one of the latest entries. It regards Timo Werner, a player that we're all well accustomed to now, given his long-associated links with Liverpool. And there's been a bit of an update overnight, hasn't there, Dan? Uh, Sky Sports were holding a special Q&A with their website with Sky Sports Italia reporter Gianluca Di Marcio, who's, I've checked out, he's got 1.1 million followers on Twitter, and he's clearly someone who has his ear to the ground when it comes to transfers. And he, he says there's been a bit of an update. Yeah, well, um, he seems uh, to be convinced that the player is in talks to leave uh, to leave Leipzig. Um, he's, he, you know, his direct quote is, I know that Timo Werner will leave RB Leipzig for sure. His agents are moving to find a solution for him. They are talking to Juventus and Inter Milan, so they want him to change clubs. They are probably talking to Liverpool because Liverpool have wanted him for a long time. Now, as we know, Timo Werner has not exactly been backwards and coming forwards in no, terms no. of where he would like to be playing his football. And he's, I wouldn't say he's gone so far as if he'd come and get me, plea, but it's, to be honest, it's not far off no. from that. And we're, we're not just talking over the last few days or a couple of weeks, we're talking really over the last couple of months. So there, there does seem to be a, you know, an, an inevitability that um, he will be playing will be playing his football for Leipzig next year because he's arguably one of the top young strikers around Europe who are clearly interesting, who is, who is clearly interesting a lot of the top clubs. And we know that Liverpool... Um, well, a lot of us feel that Liverpool have, have been looking to get better backup to uh, the club's stellar front three for some time. Uh, and uh, Werner, on many levels, you know, and we've done various tactical analyses of him on the, on the website, breaking down all aspects of the game and how he, he looks and feels and sounds like a clock player. Um, you, you know, I think a few of us have speculated before, you almost wonder, has he gone at it too hard, Werner? The fact mm-hmm. that he's you know, issued various statements knowing Jurgen Klopp the way we do the way we do and how he likes his players to kind of go about the business, you wonder if kind of if I don't necessarily put him off, but it's it's certainly it's shown the players keenness and some would say desperation. But um yeah, the, 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 there's there's a there's another story which we've actually just uh, got on the website in the last twenty minutes basically saying that there's a whole load of football finance figures that have been released over overnight. 
Um, and the, the, there's a report in the mirror basically saying that uh, Kieran Maguire is quite a well-known football mm-hmm. finance expert, basically saying that the transfer market is going to collapse this summer. Mm. But the the top clubs, the Premier League big runs like Liverpool, City, Chelsea, United, um, will probably be able to withstand that because of a the backing of the wealth, uh, wealthy owners and also some strong commercial success that basically can mitigate some of the financial hits that they're taking due to coronavirus. So I don't think anyone's expecting an absolute blockbusting summer of spending once the football business does get underway. But I think it's fair to assume that, that Liverpool have, will have a better chance than most because they were, you know, a, a, the club were a, a big proposition, a, a, a good proposition for uh, prospective new players. But also as well, you know, that there is finance there, Liverpool announced record, uh, record financial figures only a couple of months ago. So if, if anyone is going to be spending money, and obviously Werner won't come cheap, then it seems Liverpool would have the chance to do it. But um, I think it's definitely one to watch with interest because uh, the Timo Werner saga continues and it doesn't look like it's going away anytime soon. Completely agree, mate. No doubt we will be talking about Timo Werner, me and you, on a podcast again very, very soon. Uh, Dan, I look forward to it. thanks very much for joining us. Uh, that's another edition of the Morning Bulletin podcast done. Thanks as always for listening at home or at work or wherever you are and have a great day. You've been listening to the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo.